You're fed up with a 9 to 5. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from a traditional career but don't know how? Business Breaks is here to help. Subscribe now and rate and review on your favourite podcast platform. Enjoy the show. So, hello and welcome to Business Breaks. I'm your host, Dante Healy, and today I'm very excited to have Shane Spraggs, CEO of Vertura, with us today. So, Shane has over 25 years of experience in operations management, including working with companies like Acro Media and Disney. He is also the co-author of the book, The Power of Remote, which provides insights into how remote work can be leveraged to produce maximum productivity and efficiency. It's a comprehensive guide written by Shane and Cynthia Watson. Both are top executives with decades of experience in remote productivity, project management, and corporate efficiency. This book aims to help managers and employees embrace and optimize remote work, whether in hybrid or completely offsite settings. So providing insights, strategies, and practical advice, including building a remote team, creating an effective remote workplace, optimizing remote performance, and developing effective virtual leadership. Shane, thank you for joining us today. I'm eager to learn more about your expertise. Oh, thanks so much, Dante. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, pleasure on my side as well. So just to kick things off, Shane, what inspired you to write about the power of remote work and what are some key takeaways from the book? But the, obviously the pandemic had a huge part to play and we've been we're working remotely as Vertura for many, many years, probably over, probably 10 or 12 years now. Um, just I had to do the math on that I think since 2011. And uh, when the pandemic hit, we were already, oh, we, we had been doing remote work for, for years at that point. Uh, and we saw the opportunity to share our experience with more people who are just now being thrown into uh, through this remote work life. Uh, and a lot of them had had very little experience with it. And a lot of the challenges they had with it weren't necessarily with the people, but it's more of the, you know, the people who the employees knew what they were doing for the most part. It was more the managers, the HR team, the executives who were really thrown for a loop. They they weren't ready to work remotely and they weren't ready to uh, manage a team remotely. Uh, and we hoped it would get out a little sooner, but we also had to fall prey to some of the challenges of, of remote work. The The book was actually finished early in 2022, uh, but because of the uh, you know uh, distribution challenges, the publication took a lot longer. We got a, we got a live on, on February of 2023 this year. Uh, but you know, even since then, we've it's become a bit of a bestseller in the uh, HR space uh, and uh, very well received. And it's it's got a lot of insights. I, I have to say, uh, thank you for writing it. And it, it is a very topical subject, certainly with having gone through the pandemic and then transitioning for a lot of companies into what is a new normal, if not yeah. completely remote, at least hybrid working arrangements, which have, I guess, unlocked opportunities for certain companies, which we'll go into <laughs> later in yeah. this yeah. Uh, episode. 
Coming to that, what are some key considerations for hiring and if you want to do it successfully? Well, yeah, it's very topical. And of course, you know, we're going through a period right now where a lot of people are being laid off. We've seen a reduction in the number of purely remote roles. Um, so anyone who has a remote role is holding on to it. They, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty tough to, you know, a lot of companies are forcing back to work, although I think that's a bit more of a, uh, a news story than it is a reality. A lot of companies are learning that, you know, forcing people back to the office is not necessarily the best decision either. And a lot of companies are going with hybrid, which is trying to, you know, find the better of both worlds, uh, but uh, still has some problems of each. And uh, and so for a company learning, looking to hire, uh, the first thing is, you know, obviously just making sure you understand what you, what the role rule is for those that role. Are they able to work remotely? If so, uh, what hours do you need them to be available for? Uh, just some basic parameters. Uh, next, the, the, the real key thing is that you want to hire somebody who uh, wants to be part of your company's vision, uh, and you need to communicate that from the very get-go. A lot of, you know, unfortunately with the, the tools out there, a lot of people will, will just throw their resume around at, at, at a lot of the, uh, whatever jobs are available. Uh, and there's a, we're dealing with it with a, with, with a, a challenge of numbers. There's way too many people applying, way to way too many jobs. And the first round you of people you get has to be weeded through. Uh, and we're seeing more and more that I think the last number over eight, 70% of companies are using some sort of AI technology to weed out that first round of people, which will may or may not result in the future. We might find out that's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but having some clear understanding of the type of people you're looking for to limit the 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 people who are applying and clearly communicate to them uh, what you're looking for and what the job is uh, at the very get-go is very important. Uh, certainly, uh, a lot of companies these days are are being forced through governments to provide some sort of wage. To even if you aren't, that's a great way to help communicate to the people who are applying what the expectations are. If you have a role that's going to, you know pay somewhere between seventy and eighty thousand dollars and someone look is looking for hundred twenty thousand dollars, it's a pretty easy way to to prevent that name from showing up in your pile. From a remote work standpoint, if you're looking for someone who's re- working remotely, one of the key things we look for is people who have an active social life. It, it seems a bit counterintuitive, but for us the the uh, the people who make the best remote workers are people who have something to look forward to outside of work that encourages them to get their work done, get it done well, and to get and have a outlet for their their social needs. Uh, so they, they aren't just stuck at home all day. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly remote work can be isolating for people who, who don't find ways of, of, uh, of keeping themselves busy outside of the house. If you get stuck in the house for, you know, days on end it can become quite uh, quite challenging so finding people who uh, who have active social life and doesn't necessarily need to be you know they're going out to the pubs all the time it, we're looking for people who have you know they're they're part of sports teams they're part they're part of um you know uh, charity groups they're part of any sort of you know a- extracurricular activity that that it's a passion of theirs that keeps them busy uh, for example i do a lot of hiking i hike on a daily basis if i can and 
uh, have a you know have a yearly trip I, I make that that you know, all about hiking. That's something that that gets me out, gets me with my hiking group, and I can talk to people, uh, and uh, it, it changes the you know get it, the focus from from always working and always at home, uh, and so we just find that, that that those that's a key question to ask. What is you what what, do, what keeps you busy, you know, outside of work, and uh, and then you know obviously as I mentioned earlier, making sure that you know things like time zones and you know hours of work and they're going to work for you. Just because you can hire someone anywhere in the world doesn't mean you should. Uh, if if they're going to be you know thirteen hours difference, that's going to be a, ch- a problem, especially if the rest of your team is you know in one time zone and everyone else is somewhere else. Uh, that's going to change how the, the company operates to keep them communicated. So a lot of little considerations just to make sure you hire the right people. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. And uh, as I can see, you have to be more balanced. You can't expect um, someone who's who gets too comfortable sitting at home to just be a balanced individual. So they need to be someone who's a bit more, um, yeah. I wouldn't say our thinking too much about um, their personal activities, but certainly there has to be something there that keeps them motivated beyond just the, because we all yeah. do need that. Yeah. And then when it comes to onboarding, one of the critical, most critical steps with any new employee is how you do onboarding. We have a over a hundred step process. We take people through that is from, um, sorry, I'm, I'm about to be visited by, <laughs> by my cat <laughs> or the perks of living, uh, working at home. Uh, speaking of social lives. <laughs> yeah. She, she owns the, the windowsill just above my desk here. So she yeah. comes to visit everyone's well. Um, the, so yeah, uh, onboarding is critical and making sure people meet people as soon as they, they, they join, uh, we've talked to people who you know who got hired with a you know large government company body, and then you know they they got added to a bunch of meetings. Five days into it, they haven't met a single person. They're not introduced introduced that meet you know uh, to anyone. Uh, they show up on, on meetings. They you know they, no one knows who they are. Uh, they have they have to answer questions like why are you here, uh, you know, and that's just the the wrong way of doing it. So take an active role in making sure that you have somebody who's an onboarding buddy who they can talk to. Uh, who is going to be there to be their social connection to the rest of the company, help them find things that maybe they, uh, the manager may overlook, uh, but also have a very clear set of, okay, here's everything they need to know. Here's all the people they need to talk to. And then I'm a big proponent in having, you know, set goals for the first uh, first week, at the end of the first week, set goals the next week, and then, then do that for the first month. And at the end of the first month, set up for the next month, then the next month, and by month three, now you can set up the next three months, and before you know it, you have a, a performance management plan that's that's all driven by conversations you've had with the the new hire um, proactively, as opposed to it being such to be trying to catch up on. So onboarding is a really critical step, and and if you haven't got an onboarding plan yet for your employees, often it's just simply just sitting down and starting a a list. You know, what do you what do they need to what do they need to know and how they're going to find out about it? You don't necessarily need to document everything. Uh, you don't want people to be sitting at their desk and, and reading for three days straight. Uh, no one wants to do that. Uh, you also don't want them sitting there watching videos for for three days straight. You need to give them a mix of things to do, interact with real people, uh, but some sort of you know. It, there's a good mix there if you have uh, some uh, you know independent uh, onboarding activities that they can do while the team that they're joining can keep working as well because it it's it, it takes everyone's time to hire somebody and, and bring them onto a team and. Sometimes it's not always easy to, for the manager to find time to onboard somebody. 
Yeah, and I think you you find that um, you learn. I, f- I forget. It's uh, I think the term is osmosis, where you have yes. people around you, and because of the conversations, you're picking up information about what's going on within the business, whereas you wouldn't get that necessarily from certainly from a remote environment unless. Because people, when they're in a virtual course, it's usually there's an agenda, it's structured, it's not that casual, you know, off the cuff remark, but it's actually quite important information that you just pick up and you assimilate in terms of how you work and what decisions you make about what you're doing. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know, the, um, you're absolutely correct that the big word you have to keep in mind is intentional. Everything, every, all the learning has to be intentional. And what can happen, and this happens at our company as well, where, you know, we have, we have documentation that's been around for years and, um, you know, three years on, I'm still jumping into something like, I have no idea what this is and why it's here, but it's, just, why wasn't I introduced to this earlier? Because you just don't, you know, if people don't think about it, um, so you're, you know, if you do have documentation, it has to be well-organized, it has to be, um, something that people can explore, they have to be told to explore and they, you know, people just won't naturally mm-hmm. look around on their own, uh, and they, Oftentimes in this uh, this day and age, people won't um, people won't uh, read uh, to you know and comprehend as much. You know, if you give them a, a, a page of text to read, they'll skim it, and they won't get the value out of they that you hope they will. So you have to also give them different ways of learning and and some on the job experience. It's it's a lot more complicated than people give credit for. Yeah, and that key word is experience. I guess it's it's definitely a learning on both sides and. Um... You know, going beyond an individual level, how do you maintain a sense of team cohesion and culture right. in a fully remote environment? Well, one of the key words I, I use is is relatedness. Uh, related from uh, social, it, it's part of the th- one of the three key things of the self determination theory that was pioneered by Edward Desi and Ryan uh, Richard Ryan back in the eighties. And at the time when they um, when they started working on it, they wanted to, up to that point, motivation was looked at as a, uh, as a, a, as a unit of measure. You had it or you didn't, and you had certain amount of motivation or you don't. And they broke it down into these three main basic traits of autonomy, uh, competency, and relatedness. And how this works, and it's pretty straightforward, you know, based on the, on the names of these things, autonomy means what do you have control over, Right. If you have no control over something, you're very low, like, less likely to be motivated by it. Um, what it, what are you competent? If you aren't competent in the work you're doing, you're gonna be very, you know, not gonna be very motivated to do it. If you are very competent, um, you'll be much more motivated. And so those two are pretty straightforward with remote work, and, and that's the, the the overlap with in office, no problem. You know, you, you can ask, you can you can tell people you can, uh, you know whether they ha- you sorry you can. Um, you can work with people and, and give them some uh, autonomy over the work they're doing. You can, you know, give them some responsibility and, and accountability. Uh, you can train them to be more competent. It's the relatedness part that that you really have to focus on. And again, it has to be intentional. What we've actually learned is that the relatedness part in remote work translates into some of the stuff we do in in, in office as well. Uh, in that we we probably don't do relatedness correctly in the office either. We tend to think of the culture of a company as social. You know, people come to work because of the people they work with. 
not the company they work for. And if that's the case, that's probably a, a bad thing um, anyways, even though, you know, yeah, they're coming to the office, they enjoy it, but they're coming to work with the people they are with. So from a remote work standpoint, there has to be much more focus on the uh, goals of the company, the vision and mission, the purpose of the company, and then how that all, uh, how that all filters down into that individual. Uh, so what, um, what, uh, what goals does the department have? What goals does the team have? What goals does the individual have? And how do they all stack up and affect the work that they're doing? Then from a, a team standpoint, there's a lot of things you can do with, with uh, team building and building uh, that remote work culture. Um, they just need a bit of a change to what, how you'd normally do it with a, with in office. So in office, you take everyone over for lunch. Great. We have a chance to socialize uh, and it makes sense to people. Let's just go out and have a, have a meal together. Reality is you're most likely getting stuck at the end of the table with somebody and you're only talking to that individual for the whole time anyways. And the value you get out of that is not the small talk. It's when you finally get past the small talk and you have these bits of conversations where you learn something about somebody, right? So what we encourage you to do is that have intentional activities that get past that small talk and encourage people to share a bit more about them because people will have trust when the competency is there, when they feel people are competent and they feel related to, re- related to those individuals. I'll give you a couple of examples. So uh, we have, uh, you know, we do a lot of icebreakers. So for large meetings, we have a lot of people on uh, up to a certain point. The icebreaker is prior to remote work was sort of the domain of the consultants, right? They come into the office, the first hour would be burnt using some sort of weird, hey, everyone stand up now and get in an order of the height or figure out whose birthday's next, right? And it was meant to warm people up and get people ready to do uh, some sort of additional consulting sort of style team building activity. Remotely, you can have, uh, there's a, a variety of, of uh, icebreakers you can do that get people to open up and share small bits of information about, uh, uh, about themselves that breaks down some of those barriers. A good example, for example, is uh, what's your favorite smell, right? So if, if you were to share that, it's not something you normally would say, sit down and talk, but you can have someone ask that question. And then when you think about your, your favorite smell, it's unlikely you're just going to say, I like the smell of chocolate chip cookies after they've come out of the oven. Well, there's probably more to that. And you can, and then when I say that, you, you probably like the smell of chocolate chip cookies when they come out of the oven as well. So it builds a bit more of relatedness and it starts to make people feel comfortable with each other. Then from a team building standpoint, the real key thing is to have a team building events that are facilitated. You need someone to run it. I'm sure we've all been there where, you, where um, the company you're working for has organized a happy hour, online happy hour. Let's all get together online and we'll sit at each other, we'll sit there and look at each other and have a few drinks. Well, what happens? Well, you have a, a lot of awkward silence. You have maybe one or two extroverts who control the conversation. And a lot of people who just sit there and browse on the internet while they wait for it to be over. Mm-hmm. You need to have someone who facilitates the conversation and makes it more about making sure everyone's involved. And there's some sort of game at play, some sort of activity. Uh, and there's a, I've actually wrote a blog about this not too long ago. Uh, there's a list of things you can do. Uh, and actually had a great experience just recently 
earlier this week, I got invited to to try out a activity that someone had put together where you get online and you actually control live action, remote controlled cars with lasers on top. You drive around and you try to shoot each other with lasers. It's it's a live action. You see through a camera. It actually is happening in someone's office. Uh, I think it's in Winnipeg, Manitoba, of all places. And it was fun. You can do it and feel like you're also there with somebody else. And the guy who runs it facilitates the conversation and makes sure everyone's involved. And that's that's really the, the key. And if you have a facilitator that understands the whole relatedness aspect, then he can work or he or she can work at making sure that that uh, uh, that not only are they all in, engaged, but they're pulling out that bit of information that they need to to feel comfortable with each other. So yeah. that's how you build. It. And then of course, culture is a combined act uh, combined activities of um, of, okay. of so the combined habits of our organization. Uh, and so it really is about making sure that uh, you know you keep some good documentation. You you teach the people who are being onboarded the habits the company has, right? Yeah, a lot of these, a lot of times they don't get written down, but sorry, I, I, go ahead, Don. No, no, no. I was just going to say a lot of insights there. <laughs> yeah. But carry on. No, it was just, that was the end there. Yeah. Yeah. Try to document your, your key habits, you know, things that you do uh, and, uh, and try to make sure that the people who get onboarded learn about those habits as soon as possible. So they don't feel out of place uh, when, uh, when they, when they come on uh, your, your, uh, in overarching, to all this is the values of your company. So how, what, what, what values do your, does your company expect you to live with? And I, I strongly encourage if you are a smaller company and you're just, you're in, you're in, in control of being able to define what those values are, try to stick, stay away from broad terms like integrity. Integrity is not a value. That's just a, a basic human expectation. Everyone should have integrity. You shouldn't be hiring people who don't have integrity. And if they don't experience, if they don't, demonstrate integrity you don't want them on your team it doesn't have to be a company value right yeah. so so you you want to have like we have a great one it's a say no to fire drills so mm-hmm. a fire drill to us is an urgent task that's not really important just mm-hmm. gets you know it becomes important in the moment and we have it we have a habit based on that value it's part of our culture to say no to them and that gets us reframed into what's important in the moment and it's at all levels. People tell me, hey, is this a fire drill? Like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay, you're right. You go back and I'll, I'll figure that I'll put this on your agenda for next week. We'll, we'll get to it. And lo and behold, it doesn't get, yeah, so yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpick there. And I thank you for all those insights. So it's an interesting term, relatedness. And from what you, what you shared, I'm, I mean, I, I, I take it as a way to, for employees to connect with that culture, as you mentioned, the purpose, vision, mission, and values. So yeah, it's it's really cool. And um, ultimately, that culture boils down to not what you say you do, but what you actually do. So that's yeah. the key thing. And uh, as you say, I was going to say, <laughs> uh, integrity is a virtue, and we know too many companies who signal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And the, the whole, you know, self, self-determination theory, the, you know, the, uh, these basic three pillars, you can apply them to anything about remote work and say, okay, well, how do, how am I satisfying autonomy, competency, and relatedness on every single task, everything, mm-hmm. every single activity I have. Uh, and so for me, like one of the big ones, and we talked about management earlier, that is the one-on-one. So the one-on-one with the team member is, is the confluence of all those, those three. 
it's your opportunity to, as a manager, to help the employee feel the relatedness to the company, the, to the work that they're doing, to the people they're working with, to the to the manager themselves, and give them autonomy over the work that they have to uh, to support the the you know the purpose of the company, and make sure that they're competent and have the skills they need to do that work. And and if you look at it in that that lens, all aspects of work fit into that model. True. And um, coming back to that management piece, it's so important that you manage your team well. Um, however, there are always challenges, right? There's no one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah. You have to customize all the time. So what are the most common challenges you've encountered with managing remote teams and how have you managed to overcome them? Yeah, I think the ongoing challenge is, is knowing whether the person is is busy or not. Right. And that's the thing that most companies claim requires us to go back to the office is that, you know, it's a 40 hour work week. Are they getting their work done? Well, that's the wrong way of looking at it to me. It, it, you need to change their mindset to, uh, to look at it from product to as a productivity standpoint. How do you measure productivity? It's not in hours. Uh, productivity is measured in what gets done. And so it's really the manager's responsibility to, to set some good boundaries and, and and clarify what the expectations are, and then to follow up on those expectations to say, hey, we talked about this last week. How are you doing on this? Right? And we have some we have some 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 basic methodologies that make sure that that's not doesn't all entirely fall on the manager's responsibility, uh, and that it's it's a little more baked in. We have a, a system called days of the week, which I'll just quickly explain to you. Um, we have a, well, before I do it, we've got a couple of rules of re- remote work. The first is we assume that no one's paying attention. We also assume that no one's going to do what they said they would do. And we also assume that people aren't qualified to do the work that they said they would do. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain that last one a bit more. It's not that they don't have the skills. What they're lacking is things like time management, um, the ability to multitask. Uh, the ability to ask for help, and in the office, they those that's one of those things that sort of takes care of itself because you're sitting there with others and you have these conversations like, oh, I'm having problems with this. Oh, can I? I can help you with that. You can have that. You can have an individual who is has no idea how to use word templates, for example. And every time they need to use a word template, they lean over to Roger, and Roger helps them out and. Voila, the template's set up and they, they just go about their way. And that could happen for years and they never need to know how to do it. Remotely, that person's stuck. Right. So we have a system called Days of the Week that takes all this into consideration. And it's very simple. We we have someone who's responsible for keeping track of all the action items. So an action item is anything someone says they will do. So Dante, I'm talking to you. It's like, you know, I think uh, I'll send that report to you tomorrow. Remotely, I'm probably going to forget about this. And there's lots of reasons why, but one of the key reasons is I've got meetings from like, you know, nine to, to one o'clock in the afternoon, back to back to back. And by the very nature of virtual meetings, by the time I get to the, you know, the third or fourth meeting, I've forgotten what happened in the first meeting, unless I write it down. But I can't, as a company, expect to rely on everyone to write their, their action items down and to do a good job of managing their time. Mm-hmm. So... If we can assign someone to, to 
take that responsibility out of every single meeting, every single conversation, keep track of action items. Uh, and then on Monday, what we do is uh, someone has to send out, okay, Shane, here are your action items for the week. Okay. Tuesday and Wednesday, they follow up to see how that's going. Hey, you know, I see, you know, you've got these, how are you doing? Oh yeah, doing all right. Good. Thursday, uh, you identify any risks of them not being completed. And then Friday, you share a list of uh, all the action items for the team. And it's a, it's a bit of public shaming. Here's the, here's what everyone said they would do. And here's what they didn't get done. Uh, and it's a critical piece to, to make people accountable for what they said they would do. Uh, and uh, I'm simplifying it a little bit just for this conversation, but it, it really is fairly straightforward. And by implementing the days that, that are days of the week approach to things, people stay on track, people stay productive, and we keep track of what, um, what they said they would do and whether they get it done. And that filters back into productivity. It becomes pretty obvious over time whether someone's constantly missing their action items and you know not getting the work done that you, you said they would do or, and or delivering subpar work. And that's where you can deal, dive into it and deal with it on a, on a case-by-case basis. One of the things I have noticed about remote work and is that there are far fewer issues with interpersonal drama. A lot of the things that happen in the office where people, you know, for whatever reason, aren't, aren't getting along with somebody else, you know, a lot of the issues between departments go away. People focus on the work they need to get done. And they, 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 they're just not, you know, they're not, not coming to work for, for the, for that. And, uh, and it makes, makes the our HRs and the manager's job a lot easier because there's fewer interpersonal issues when it comes to, uh, to those workers. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if I answered your question in a bit of a roundabout way, but, uh, you know, the, the key thing from a management standpoint is to make sure that you have a sense of what work that they said they would do. And when we, when you assign work, you have to make sure that the employee um, has a stake in, in establishing when that's due. So it's not that it's all on them to say, I'm going to get that done by next Thursday. The, the manager has a role to say, okay, you know, I don't think, I don't think Thursday's doable. Why don't you give yourself till, till the following Tuesday, just based on my experience or that Thursday's, you know, way too much time. Can you help me understand why, why you think you can get, get that done? Uh, why you think you need that much time for Thursday? And the manager's job there is to coach them into selecting the right delivery date and understanding the what's expected, but to not to drive the conversation and tell them what the, the work is. Uh, I'd like to say is like, you, the manager needs to provide point A and point B. It's the employees, you know, leave it to the employee to figure out how to get there. A lot of people make the mistake of thinking that the for accountability, the employee has to pick the point B. That's not, that's not their job. Their job is to do, is to get the work done. Your job as a manager is to make sure that the point B and often times it's the, you know, director level and above who, who selects what the point B is. Makes sense. And yeah, you did answer the question. If you okay, allow me to paraphrase. So the biggest challenge with managing remote teams is actually getting comfortable that they are actually doing the work and being productive and getting the uh, outcomes that the manager is seeking. However, it's kind of on the manager to make sure that there's a certain degree of accountability and performance so that you know that things are being achieved. Yeah. And yeah, it's um, it sounds like also that sometimes it's good to be co-located and uh, around each other when you're working, but I think it can also counterintuitively, well, maybe not, 
be a distraction as well because emotions can flare up when you're under pressure and you end up in some sort of arguments that could otherwise be avoided. Whereas if you're talking to someone virtually, you may even have the camera switched off. You can be a bit more objective. Whereas if you've got all this emotion in your face and communication, they say, is like, was it 30% verbal? And the rest is like in the tone. So you wipe out a lot of that projection if you have emotions, which may trigger that amygdala and fight or flight in the moment when you're like staring someone down and it gets adversarial, dare I say. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, And we have a few tools as well to, you know, that uh, I'll share is that the one I I said, the one-on-one is is critical for my, for me, from my standpoint and and with the remote work, it's your time to connect with the individual. Uh, And I use a tool called that I call collaborative journal. Um, It's really just a shared notes Uh, and some tools, some HR tools offer this as, as part of the, uh, the, the feature list, but take a Google, a Google sheet or sorry, uh, or a page and, just keep track of, of through the course of the week items you want to talk to that individual about or, and they, they have access to it as well. And, and then you go through it on your one-on-one and mm-hmm. it, it's amazing. The impact this has it, not only does it, it give you a list of topics to talk about on your one-on-one. Um, it also takes those interruptions away from the week as, um, it's going by here again. <laughs> She's persistent. No worries. It, uh, it takes it. It takes those interruptions. So instead of me tapping on your shoulder and say, hey, do you got a second, right? Mm. Well, I can just put that into your, your journal uh, and deal with it on one one And that, again, keeps people more efficient, you know, use of time and more productive. Mm. Uh, the thing that, it's, that, that should be obvious to, to most is that all of what I'm saying are fairly decent best practices for being a manager, right? Remote doesn't need different management techniques. It just needs good management. Mm. And... Unfortunately, the way our businesses grew in the office, a lot of people can get away from with being a manager, but not being a good manager. No, I completely agree with that. And, you know, there's always been this, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, the dichotomy of the manager versus the leader when really, and what you see is the, on the left side, the manager is bad. The leader is good. And it's really confusing two things because um you can be a good manager and a good leader but oftentimes the case is that you've got a lot of people in leadership positions who are actually very bad managers as well as very bad leaders and then they assume you know same with managers who maybe tend to micromanage and can't can't make calls but they're happy they're actually doers a lot of the time who've been promoted maybe before they were ready and then end up feeling having that temptation maybe to go into their comfort zone by doing the work for the team and showing them that I can do it better. And that's how they, uh, they end up competing rather than leading. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. And uh, I guess talking about leaders, how can business leaders create that strong sense of purpose and alignment amongst remote team members? especially when they're physically dispersed? Yeah, great question. And um, it, it it requires that uh, they have to communicate more often uh, and, and they have to believe in, in the, in the uh, vision as well. Uh, so, so many companies 
are are based on a very weak purpose, right? And mm-hmm. you know, and it's I had this earlier on in my career where you know when we were working, well, I don't want to call anyone out, but we were, you know, it was very clear to us that we were there because we enjoyed doing the work as opposed to what it meant to the customer and what it meant to you know you know the the world as a whole, right? And so by not having any purpose, it became difficult for us to focus the work we were doing uh, and hire the right people and sell to the right industry and, and so on and so forth. And so leaders need to be very clear, have a very clear understanding of why the company is in business, what achieving success means, not just to them, but their customers and what impact they're going to have. Maybe if you're lucky enough to be in one of these companies that has a broader impact in the world, you know, that's, you know, that's even better, you know, you're making the world a better place. Uh, and then to communicate it on a regular basis, right? Like, you know, every, every, all hands, uh, make sure you, you mention the, the, the mission of the company. Or why are we in business? Um, have a, play a very strong role in, in yearly, yearly planning. Uh, we've, I've put together a process for doing, for doing the strategic planning remotely. Uh, and it just needs to follow some basic rules, right? Like make sure you get gather the right information, know as much as you can before going into it, and involve people in the decision making process. So they feel a sense of ownership, uh, and then revisit it regularly. You know, once a month checking on your departments, once a quarter checking on your goals. I mean, everyone, I'm sure you've heard of this before in, in lots of books. So few companies actually do it uh, and uh, and do it well, and. And I'm speaking mostly to the, the smaller companies. The world's mo- made up mostly of the SMB uh, size companies, and those are the ones that have the most to gain to add a little structure to uh, to uh, to their company, and the most to gain from hiring remote workers because it's an advantage that the large companies are currently passing up on. Uh, so, and then on certain meetings, you know, we we often use as a as an icebreaker, we talk about, hey, it's, who's led it, lived our values this week. Right and and make sure you 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 know there's a strong focus on on uh, on rewarding people for doing a good job and reiterating and performance reviews how they're fit, how they're matching the values of the company how they're accomplishing the goals how they're moving the company forward bringing everyone along for the ride that's mm-hmm. that's the that's the goal of the leader yeah you have to inspire people with that vision and it's making people feel included and part of something. Um, is really important to, and certainly just not just from a motivational standpoint, but just uh, yeah, getting getting those um, getting those that alignment to the vision and and people buying in because yeah that um, that belief and even if it's not uh, even if it's just for like one goal or one objective that that really does uh, it does create so much. So much more in yeah. terms of results, uh, but yeah, it's it's really good. Thank you. So I guess moving on from that, um, taking it beyond the business perspective to the actual employee now, and I dare say a concern for remote workers is that potential reduction in career advancement opportunities due to that lack of visibility. And do you believe yeah. that there is possibly a sort of like a case to be said that there may be sacrificing some upward career mobility for in exchange for that flexibility? And if not, if the, if if employees aren't willing to settle for like you know trade offs, 
what advice do you have for remote employees who aim to advance their careers despite the challenges of working outside a right. traditional office setting? Yeah, and you know, it's it's a it's not a simple answer. It's it's uh, it really depends on the scenario. If you have a large company that offers remote work to you know, to a handful of people, uh, and you're one of those individuals who's not at the office, you're not visible. It, it's going to be, it's going to be a problem, you know, and, um, but it might not be a problem for you. Maybe your aspiration isn't the corner office, right? Uh, you know, and I would argue that if you, your aspiration was to, to climb the ladder in an office, you would have a plan for that. You would, you'd be, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot more about who you know in relationships than it is about how well you do your job. And those that network and do a good job with it um, happen to have a better chance at, at career growth. So similarly, if you are career-minded, have a plan, right? Mm-hmm. Where it gets a little more muddy is that I'm seeing, we're, we're, we're going to see a lot more remote-only companies come out of the, the woodwork now. It only makes sense, right? That, uh, that as, we, as the economy continues to grow, as more and more startups start to use remote work as a way to keep costs low in the initial startup phase, it's going to turn into more and more medium-sized businesses that are remote only, and eventually more and more large companies that are, you know, possibly remote only. I imagine there must be a point in a remote company where it gets large enough that says, "Hey, let's spend X number of thousands of dollars on an office." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know when that point makes sense. But I can imagine, you know, maybe you get to a place where you're global, you know, global business, like, okay, you know, let's finally put an office down in Chicago. I don't know why, you know, just mm-hmm. let's do it. And our, com- our, our team spread all over the world. So, you know, the, uh, I'm expecting that over, you know, the natural state of things will be to see more and more remote only companies, more and more larger remote only companies. And in those situations, they will have to have different approaches for hiring and picking the next, you know, evolving people, uh, people's uh, into the next roles. Uh, and a lot of that comes down to mentorship and coaching uh, and, uh, you know, larger companies tend to have a list of people on a watch list. Hey, you know, um, you know, who, who, who's got potential, you know, companies know that it, it, it's hard to hire somebody new and uh, it's easier to grow them from within. Uh, so that's, um, you know, there's, uh, those conversations happen in a myriad of, you know, everything from stay interviews to, performance re- results and and whatnot so it, it's not a simple question in from a broad scheme of things the simple answer is for an individual to have to take ownership of it uh, i went far too many years in my own career without really taking ownership in what i was doing and having a plan where i thought would i needed to go and what i needed to do to get there i'm sure there's still more i could do <laughs> in that respect <laughs> but the you know the sooner you can you can realize that no one has a, no one's going to take a more interest in your career than you are. The sooner you're going to have a better chance at, at going to where you want to go. And, and there are people who don't want a corner office. You know, we have people on our team who are very happy with what they're doing because, the, because it fits with their work-life balance. And that's the other complication is that over the last three years, people have discovered that there's more to work that's sorry to life than work, right? Like why spend 60 hours a week? working for a company who's not going, who's going to take the, the value you've given them and give their, the faith things to an executive. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, these, you know, there's a lot of people found light through the pandemic because they realized they can, they can do more, do less, 
work and spend more time living the short time that they have. Yeah. And and sometimes it might not be less work if they're balanced and they are productive. It's not about the hours you put into the work. It's the work you put into the hours, I guess they say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So hopefully win-win. But as you say, coming back to my question, thank you very much. That was very insightful. It's ultimately you've got to own your career and you've got yep. to have a plan and the plan hopefully uh, is a good one. Uh, but yeah. Yep. I always found there's that um, thing about people talking about you need mentors to progress your career, especially in large organizations. It's not mentorship. You don't necessarily need to get better. You need sponsors who are willing to advocate for your promotion, as you yeah. say. Yeah, it's that relationship that matters. And uh, uh, you know, certainly if you get a mentor who's higher up in the firm, you can talk to their their buddies and talk to you about it. Uh, and it should be obvious to anyone who's in a, you know, Who's in a uh, working from home in a large business, large enterprise company that they need to have more visibility. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for that. And um, I guess uh, a little bit coming back because I think it's 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 been a great discussion. Or any companies who are still maybe on the fence about remote working, what advice would you give to companies who are still hesitant? about embracing a remote or hybrid model? Yeah, well, um, it's not about the employees. It's it's about your managers and your executives and your HR team. They're the ones who need to be able to manage and facilitate a, high, a remote work. The employees, you have to trust your employees. You know, they're, 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 if someone's going to goof off at work and not get any work done, they're going to goof off at home. The people who you want to keep the people who are going to be very uh, proactive and you know, productive at the office will be the same people who are going to be very proactive and productive at, at home. You're just giving them a better option. You're giving them the opportunity to save money on commuting, get hours back in their day, um, you know, be able to zoom out to go help their, you know, uh, their their parents or infirm parents or something, something, or go to an appointment or you know, go to uh, pick their kids up from school. Uh, and have that integrate into their their, their work, uh, and the, the if the if it comes down to you know, most most executives think in terms of money. Hmm. So what is it? What is it actually savings for the company as well? Well, remote workers, it's been proven, stay with a company longer, there's less turnover, and we all know that 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 replacing someone is very expensive compared to training them and treating them well and managing them and and keeping them on board. So in just the pure replacement costs alone, it's a savings for the company. You can save uh, money on uh, you can save money on the um, on on the office if you want to get rid of the office if you don't want to go hybrid. You can save money on on you know um, the cost of uh, of, of uh, equipment and and you know the there's just so many areas that you can make it a money decision if you want to break it down that way. I prefer to look at it from a perspective that it's a uh, it is a um, it's a it's a moral issue. Giving people the opportunity they need to live their lives and contribute to society through your company. I'm sold. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's a very compelling argument. Thank you. Shane, 
Uh, and then a final question, I promise. Can you share a pivotal moment or experience in your entrepreneurial career that significantly shaped your approach to remote work? For me, it was the, the, the pandemic. I mean, we, uh, you know, mm. like many people, I started doing remote work in during the pandemic. And, and the, um, I was thrown into it with everyone else. And I had to follow the guidance of Cynthia Watson to learn all about the best ways of working remotely. Uh, and so I, I got to learn from the fire from the best and drink from the fire hose. Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, that, that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the pandemic, simply mm-hmm. put, similar to most, most people. So I have to go with that. Nah, very good. Well said. And a blessing in disguise, I dare say. <laughs> Well, it's really, you just ripped the bandaid off for so many things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Shane. It's been a very delightful and insightful conversation. If our listeners want to reach out to you, where can they best connect with you online? First place, LinkedIn. Happy to connect with others. I post regularly, provide insights regularly, and I'd love to to expand my network. Uh, so yeah, by all means, just look up Shane Spragues on on LinkedIn, and voila. Uh, obviously, I'll we'll do a brief pitch here. I'd love to have you <laughs> buy the book, <laughs> available on Amazon uh, and through Forbes. So that uh, it's, it's it's also we have a audio book as well as uh, uh, a uh, Kindle version. So so options there, uh, and uh, yeah, reach out. Love to hear from people. Yeah, and I'll make sure the links are in the show notes, including the book, uh, which I know is very insightful just based on this conversation. Shane, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks so much, Dante. Business Breaks, all things business podcast with Dante Haley and John Byrne.